Fear the Walking Dead, the podcast, an unofficial discussion of the news and events surrounding Fear the Walking Dead with Quinn Warner, Stephen Payne, and Bruce McGee. I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. And this is Fear the Walking Dead episode, uh, a podcast, episode 11. And um, I think the title of this week's episode was Captive. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think so. And um, this is the episode where they go and rescue their people. Uh, so how would you like just your overall feel for the episode? And uh, Quinn couldn't join us this week. Yeah, Hopefully she'll be back unfortunately, next week. Unfortunately. Well, we are <clears throat> in the midst of kind of final season here at uh, Louisiana Tech, so... Um, students are pretty busy. Which means real life intrudes. Right, real life has intruded. But uh-huh. Hopefully she'll be back with us next week. But what was your uh, feeling about this one? Uh, I <coughs> thought it was an interesting episode in light of the last three, in the sense that, to me at least, it was a more of a combination of plot and character. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, it wasn't all plot-driven, it wasn't all character-driven. That's true. It wasn't action beginning to end, and it wasn't just people sitting around, um, Daniel was semi-torturing that, or he was treating the wound of that kid. Mm-hmm. What was the kid's name? Was it Reed? No. <laughs> or Reese? No. Or was that his real name, the actor's name, maybe? Um, so anyway, he's the brother of Connor. Right. And being that, um, you know, they know that that Connor will want him back. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to keep him alive so they have a hostage to negotiate with. But the kid keeps stirring the pot. Mm-hmm. He recognizes that Chris is kind of the winkling, as does Salazar. Right, right. You know, he um, he's like, you get out of there. You don't talk to him. You don't engage. And he cannot keep himself from doing it. Mm-hmm. It's why almost you, like a compulsion in a way. Yeah. And why do you think he shot him? I think he shot him uh, because the guy was getting too much under his skin. That's and what I his think. Vulnerability. I mean, and, and, he kept and I, saying he was about to turn, but he right. didn't seem near to death to me. No. Not um, until he is actually dead. Right. <laughs> accelerates the process. Well, and then he it shot was, him in the face but forgot to take out the brain, which right. worked out luckily for the crew. Right. This is one of those plot things right. where... Uh, in DIY order, zombie. <laughs> in order to make the plot work right, we've got to have somebody to trade with them. Mm-hmm. They put a... You know, put a hood over the head. horse, in effect. Yeah, and the horse actually started eating them. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hungry horse. Uh, I was really struck by, because I'm, I'm reading another post-apocalyptic novel right now, and so I was really struck by the fact of, of the way that the screenwriters build up this post-apocalyptic society with all these warring factions and warring, you know, what amount of tribes, right? Right, and I'm reading. I'm reading this real classic science fiction novel for for listeners. If they've 
they haven't read this thing they should, and if they've read it, they'll recognize the name of it I'm about to mention, but it's called A Canticle for Leibowitz. Oh, yeah, I've heard Miller. of that one. I hadn't read it. It's a, it's a, this is a second or third time. It's been many, many years since I've read it, but it's set about roughly 1,200 to 1,500 years after the bombs. Right. You see, so it's, uh, in, in, in effect, it's proposing that civilization goes through these cyclical sorts of uh, periods of, you know, rise, fall, rise, fall, rise, and fall. Well, and to and, me, that's a specifically <clears throat> Western thing because there are a lot of civilizations that rose ten thousand years ago, and one civilization would bow out, but another mm-hmm. one would take over. You know, right. when Egypt fell, it was Alexander the Great that took over, and um, he um, built a great library in a city named Alexandria, and right. you know, it kept on being civilized. And when Rome fell, that was because the barbarians were coming in and Rome had lost the... I was going to say, it was being hauled out from within. Yeah, too. hauled out from within and the barbarians were able to push them over in but a way that the they Eastern Rome, the Eastern Roman Empire survived in Constantinople. Yeah, but our ancestors didn't live there. Right. My ancestors lived in what was right. called the Dark Ages, you know, <laughs> um, because civilization fell and it took hundreds and hundreds of years to rebuild anything resembling the level of civilization they had. And in some ways, they've never reclaimed... What they lost. I remember when the euro came in, and the head of the euro stood up proudly on the first day and made the announcement: "The euro is now alive, and Europe has its first common currency since Rome." You know, <laughs> a decade on, and the euro isn't looking so great. So maybe we ought to go back to the drachma or whatever, <laughs> um, or the pound, like the Brits are wanting to do. But I mean, really, it's, <clears> it, it seems to be that in at least in Western civilizations, there is this ebb and flow of, of civilizations. And Reed, Reed is the name of the... Um, I thought, yeah, either Reed or Reese. And his brother is Connor, who apparently a week ago was a cook on a ship. Because we're just adjusting to the apocalypse. And right. It seemed to me that what he was saying on that ship was... Okay, I you know, by cooking, and I always cooked for the men. Well, a captain doesn't cook. You pay a cook to do that. So it seemed like, okay, maybe something happened to the captain and the rest mm-hmm. of the crew, and he was the last guy surviving. But he doesn't really seem to be badass enough for the zombie apocalypse to me. Did he to you? I mean, he got his arm bitten. So right. it's either um, he dies or they chop his arm off, which would be interesting. Yeah, I wonder if someone could survive if they could have the the damaged organ or whatever cut out or yeah. cut off. Yeah, um, yeah, that's happened in the other one. Um, the doctor, um, uh, Herschel, you know, he got his leg bitten and they chopped it off real quick and gave him a, some uh, crutches to get around on after that. And he lasted another season or so. So that is possible. So provided, I guess, that the zombie doesn't give you a headshot or like biting or like biting. A if they bite your torso, vein. you're done for. If uh-huh. they bite an extremity, that or can bite be... your jugular vein, I guess you have. Right, right. You die right away. But I mean, any, if they bite you anywhere on your like the leg or arm or hand or whatever, the extremities you can mm-hmm. you can survive if you cut it off in time. But they don't even necessarily know that. Um. So who is the one that was on the flight that shows up? Um, oh, the Asian actor, and I can't think of her name. Is yeah. Or something? Alex. Do they call her Alex? 
Not sure. She's another Australian actor, actually, that they hired <laughs> for the for the cast. But she's plenty pissed off now because, um, yeah, that's that's Alex. I'll see if I can find her name. Is it Ong? Is her last name? I think so. This page is not scrolling. Alex, Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, Michelle Ong, A-N-G. Um, and so there's this blood feud now between her and our heroes mm-hmm. because Travis put them in the boat and then the other guy cut the cut the cord so that, the, you know, they floated away. And I was hoping she would be back, and I kind of like the way that she is back. You know, it's kind of natural that she would be angry and wanting revenge and I wanted you for me. Although I'm a little surprised she wanted him and not the, um, oh, uh, who's the name? Uh, Strand. Strand. Because Strand was the one that cut him loose. Right. Well, and again, going back to the apocalyptic tropes, you can see how if a, if a culture like this could survive another 100 years, 200 years, how it would degenerate even more, right? Well, we've already reverted to... Basic tribalism, right. you know that um, the legal system's gone. The things that you know it took Thousands civilization, of years yeah, civilization to, to, developed to, to out of the tribe, and we're always liable to fall. Like when Rome collapsed, what did they do? They went back to tribes, mm-hmm. and that's probably what we would do. How we, what else could there be at first, anyway? That, that's what happens in, in Leibowitz, it's the novel. I mean, you, you have it opening up, I think, originally about 600 years after the bombs, and then then they flat, uh, pass forward, I think, about another 600 years after that. And in Europe, after Rome, Western Europe, after Rome fell, um, you know, the tribes gradually merged to form kingdoms right. where they had the hierarchy. Right. Where, okay, no feudal, longer... Feudal society. Yeah, the feudal society <clears> is... <throat> kind of trying to put the leash on the tribes again. But there's nothing like that to oversee the groups mm-hmm. when they fall out, when they have conflict, to keep them from just fighting until one side or the other is dead. And I think we, you know, now that she is off the sea, that she will be here maybe for a while. I hope so. I still wonder how they will, in the in the end, so to speak, or ultimately, I'll say it that way, how if, if they will come up with a way, either on this series or the parent series, to enable people to live with the contagion somehow, like people live with HIV today. Right. So it can get bitten, but not... Yeah, it can be treated, or it can, right. you, can, you can actually survive. and you know, It might not be curable yet, but that's usually what happens with diseases. Anyhow, they wind up being treatable. First there's a curable. treatment, then there's a cure. And this right. one, nothing's responded to anything. It's responded Other to than nothing. what we talked about before you before we went to Mike, which is amputating a... A bitten. Oh, we were already on Mike. <laughs> okay, well, but, but podcast gold, dude. Yeah, but but amputating an arm or leg or whatever, or foot or whatever, it's been bitten. Right. Uh, and that's that's a, a case of the cure is, is worse than the kill almost. Yeah, I mean it's a severe heart, and unless you know that trick, you know he might just sit there and die. Mm-hmm. But he certainly could be saved because uh, it's the forearm. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's all we saw. Do we know bitten. yet how quickly that contagion spreads? Yeah, it's pretty quick. Like 24 hours? Yeah, or? within a day he'll be dead. Um, 
So it's a really lethal whatever it is. You spend a few hours feeling mostly okay, and then you start to hallucinate and get sweaty and, you know. Feverish. Right. And I imagine by that time you're too far gone for the amputation to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the thing is multiplying in your bloodstream. Right, it's already spread. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, so what else is going on this week? Um... I like the opener, the Patsy Cline number, I Fall to Pieces. While he's making that uh, state, yeah, that's what you're talking character, you know, because mm-hmm. it's quiet, just making steak. Let's, I think you put some mushrooms in it. Mm-hmm. Omaha steaks. Mm-hmm. We've got a few Omaha <laughs> steaks. We won't be having those for long because, mm-hmm. you know, we'll eat right Omaha now. is full of zombies now, but <laughs> we're eating well now. But it reflects the characters and it reflects the civilization, which has fallen to pieces. Yes, it it's does. It's sort of an ode in a way. It, it's using that piece of music like an ode when he always odes. <coughs> a dirge. Yeah, or maybe a dirge, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's memorializing something that's you know, either a person or a way of life that's gone, the, you know, gone, that's died. And Jack, disappointed in love, um, although I think she really would have left with him if it had come to that. Um, you know, she's Jack is the guy she's been talking to on the radio, and she's been, uh, you know, I, you know that, do you think she really likes him at some level, or was she just using him? I think she might have. I mean, it was, she pointed that out, did she not, in the, the after show, that it was ambiguous. I mean, yeah. Uh, and Yeah, we got to see the Alicia with the Y in the uh, after show this week. Right. Right, and she's a, another Australian actor, actually. <laughs> I kept wanting them to ask her about the 100, but they never ventured into that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it, it, she kind of bears this out. Well, the whole series, in its way, bears this out about trust no one. Right, except those closest to you. Uh, generally, there's a certain loyalty there. At least among the good guys, you know, with the governor, he'll kill his best friend if the guy turns his back on him. So, um, you can never trust him. But it's turning out we can trust, um, Strand, rather surprisingly. Like, um, you know, like Daniel, do you remember when Daniel talks to Strand and they're heading the ship toward Travis and Alicia? And uh, I'm a little surprised you're going along with this. And uh, Strand said, well, you know, part of our crew. And uh, he feels obligated to them now because they've saved him. And so that goes back to last week where mm-hmm. he kept talking, no, I've obligated to, you know, he, mm-hmm. he believes in debt. He may not believe in love as we... Right. Well, everything's a transactional relationship. Right. And I wrote that down. Everything is a negotiation. Yeah, Which is yeah, a great yeah. line. We'll get them in. We can negotiate. It's, that's it's, what I do. I'm classic. a seller. I'm a closer. That's yeah. what he said the it's first... It's classic um, uh, capitalism of the worst kind, right? Right. He's people, a vulture capitalist. People are commodities. Not just not just the land and the resources of the land <laughs> and so forth or, or, or the water and so forth or commodities but people also are commodities that means you buy or sell them but he does have a code like he doesn't regard them as his slaves he um he sees a mutual set of obligations incurred on both sides we both which is like a feudal lord mm-hmm. you know, it may the, be closer to that uh, they would you know in debt these various lower level 
Well, and we're like working our way up. Like we, he may be the knight or mm-hmm. the guy with the gun. That um, you know, his friend. He's the knight, oh, and yeah, then yeah. this guy is like maybe uh, Earl, and then yeah, the guy we haven't higher. seen yet is the Lord. You know, right. he's the one that everybody answers to. Um, you owe fealty to that person. Yes, yes. And, um, and I like this line from Salazar. It's, was it Salazar? He says, this is the way the world is. This one lives, this one dies. Yeah. It's a... It's a, it's a, a Sort of the exemplar of fatalism, right? <laughs> well, and he's lived through the apocalypse in his own country. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as Americans we have a certain arrogance mm-hmm. that our civilization is so stable. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us to imagine it coming to an end. I see people online saying, oh, well, you know, we've got all these limits on our government. If, if we elect Trump, it'll all be all right. And, um, you know, no government is so great that you can elect somebody who's, that they can, you know, that it can't be messed up by somebody who's sure. bad enough. Well, in fact, I'm reminded that <coughs> this is no apology, or def- that is to say in the classical sense of a defense of something. This is no defense of the Confederacy by any means, but I'm reminded of a line out of the film The Civil War where I think what was he a historian I guess from Mississippi Shelby Foote he quotes he was uh, a Patton. novelist but he was on there a lot yeah and he quotes him by saying Patton said something about that America's never been conquered and he said he this was coming from the mouth of someone who was a, a son of one of Lee's officers or something <laughs> the <laughs> right. south was conquered <laughs> right and went through a reoccupation and a reintegration into American society yeah and we seem to have forgotten that I mean, well, not everybody. Uh, my best yeah, friend, the, uh, you remember Benny, my friend. Uh, no, yeah, I met him a time or two. Yeah. His uh, father used to say, we never lost a war except the Civil War. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, well, yeah, okay. Um, but I know that, fi- you know, that you know loyalty that comes with being born of this family and what does that mean and making sense of it. And it's a complicated thing, even 150 years Absolutely on. Absolutely it is. And it's it's one of those things, again, where this is not to say that we are advocating for the Confederacy because neither one of us would. Right. Um, but it, it was a real, in, in so many ways, such a real sea change for the South but for the country. I'm surprised at all of the pregnant women that wound up on that fishing boat. Um, you know, we had one last week that was part of the pirate crew, mm-hmm. but then there was another very pregnant woman, um, mm-hmm. you know, that... Oh, um... Travis winds locking up when he's escaping. Like, you know, they get in a scuffle and... Or is it or is it Alicia... Which one locks her in the um, in the cell? Now, now the person escapes me. I think it might have been Alicia down there hunting for her dad, but I could be wrong. It could have been <laughs> Travis, but you know, it wouldn't be much of a fight between a woman who's that pregnant and a guy. So, and you were waiting to to have her, you know, show what she was made of, so to speak, show her metal. <laughs> Alicia. Yes, and she did this week. Yeah, and she's yeah. I think she's becoming stronger and. You know, what do you think about the way the parents, um, Madison and uh, Travis, keep struggling to be helicopter parents in Mm -hmm. the apocalypse? You know, how's that going to work? 
they're acting according to their nature of what they knew in the past. Again, I mean, I right. go back to that, that, that. A new world requires a new ethic. But, you know, so, these were civilized people right, in right. the sense that they didn't take their kids to the shooting range on Saturday or take them hunting or, you know, teach them any of those skills that would be necessary in the uh, apocalypse. And now that the kids are wanting, you know, uh, um, Nick is grown. Mm-hmm. He's, what, 19 years old, 18? But, you know, he's an adult, but Madison keeps trying to baby him. And, um, you know, that's another great line. I don't know if you wrote it down, but Strand says, uh, I saw his potential the first five minutes we were together, and he was in withdrawal. How is it that you don't know what your son is capable of? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it, it's um it's interesting to me, again, how crises reveal truths about characters. That, 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 you know, these crises do as events. No other event would reveal these truths Some people rise, and some people f- go downward, and some people do both. Like, uh, what do you think about um, Salazar hearing the voices? Do you think he's starting to crack? Like, um, he seems so tough and so grounded, you know, and so ruthless... But is it starting to catch up to him? Because this is a second mm-hmm. time out to have to be around right. somebody and right. tie him up to a chair and essentially torture them. Well, I mean, we talked about this. I mean, he, having been a member of one of those death squads, I mean, he may have trained with that school for the Americas, School of the right. Americas. No, that was before we went to Mike. Okay. So why don't you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, so this that. was a military project, which still exists, by the way, over at, is it at Fort Benning, Georgia, but anyhow, it still exists today. And that thing trained a lot of the right-wing Central American, you know, organizations like the Contras. Yeah, they have renamed it the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, but it's basically still the uh, school for a mess. It's euphemism. It's it's code language. Because we have a pretty bad... It's like calling a prison a correction institute, right? Uh, We have a bad... um, Calling a missile a peacemaker. Many of the people who graduate <laughs> go on to become notorious torturers and murderers, not defenders of ethics and human rights. So, yeah. um, I don't know if they do have lessons in ethics, but they don't seem to sink in as well as their <laughs> no, other other exactly. lessons do. Not exactly. And so Salazar, I think he was a kid, right? Like, right. You know, he probably didn't come up here and go to that, but maybe somebody that went there trained him. <laughs> now we're getting way deep into the back story with that. Well, but it, it I mean, presumably, what, what has happened in the original series? That is to say, do they go into the back stories of the... the so, yeah, you'll have even um, even uh, flashbacks where you finally see, oh, this is Michonne's family uh, before the collapse, or you'll get a episode where Rick is uh, deputy again, or something, you know. If you're a major enough character, they might go back and show that. Well, he's, he seems to me to be, in his way, as interesting as Strand is, and as mysterious as Strand. Salazar? Yeah. Even yeah. more so, and I'm wondering if that <clears throat> toughness is starting to... Because, you know, he's older now. He's, mm-hmm. he's what, 50s? Yeah, probably 50s. Yeah, because those groups were... Operate what mostly in the seventies and eighties, maybe. It was back at the tail, maybe the tail end of Carter up through the Reagan administration. Yeah, the Reagan administration kind of helped it along. Mm-hmm. They, oh, uh, absolutely. They <laughs> funded the death squads and 
had planes flying overhead to uh, uh, shoot the enemy. Um, and so he's, you know, he may not be able to maintain that. I know Carol didn't in the uh, original series. She was the badass for several seasons and finally kind of had her breakdown this this season. But he's not holding up that long and I'm kind of afraid because we're going to need him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, if you wonder, like you said, the, I'm hearing voices. Is it paranoid schizophrenia or something PTSD else? is what I'm PTSD, thinking. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, he's never dealt with this stuff. Right, right. He just, you know, went to America and sucked it up and became a barber and ignored that to the degree that that's possible. Daniel, that's his first name. Ophelia, still on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Has she done anything yet this season? Not much. She's mostly been recovering from that bullet wound. Not much, and again... um I, I want to see more development of Travis's character too. I mean, we we got this idea of uh, you know, he was a teacher. Uh, he seems to be kind of a handyman of a sort, right? And he's good good fixing things, right? Kind of mechanically inclined. And that's what we thought at first was the reason they took him back to the ship. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out they brought him back so Alex could have her way with him, whatever that would have entailed. Mm-hmm. And Alicia, I was worried that. You know, there's going to be something lecherous involved with her because, you know, she's a teenage girl. Let's get her back to the ship. And, um, but, you know, basically, how old to, is her character? She's a high schooler, right? Um, you say between 15 and about 18. Yeah, although the actress is probably sure. 25. I was thinking but, yeah, early mid 20s, but. Yeah. But they always get somebody older to play right. kids. Like Buffy was, you know. She was only a little old. older. She, you know, still looked youthful when she started. You know, had kind of that teenager look. Um, Luis, he's the guy, you know, the enforcer. Mm-hmm. Strand's... Basically, another version of what Strand is using Chris for. You know, mm-hmm. he, uh, they're both kind of the guys that fix things for him. Right. It's it's rather like a, it's like a mob family in a way. Where yeah. You've got these, you know, he's the Don in, in effect, or kind of a Don. Or the sub. He's a cap. He's a capo. A capo. Right. Yeah. He's and not the, the capo to Tutti capo. Right. We haven't met the Don yet. Uh, he's <laughs> off stage waiting. That for would us be kind of funny there. to have the Don down in Mexico someplace. You know. The, he's the Godfather. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's sort of like a drug lord who's become this. You know. What did I ever do to you to be treated <laughs> with such disrespect? <laughs> So Alicia starts, Alicia's smart. Um, they start training her to look for vessels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, just after not too many vessels at all, she recognizes her ship. That this is the, what was the ship's name? The Abigail. The Abigail, the yeah. Abigail. Mm-hmm. She said, okay, this one has to be the Abigail, but it's two hours too early. Mm-hmm. That means they didn't take my family to shore. They just dumped them 
into the ocean. Mm -hmm. And that's what sets her wanting to leave the ship right away. We've got to get off. We've got to take Mm -hmm. one of these other vessels that you've collected. Why do you think they're on a tuna boat in dry dock instead of on a real tuna boat? I was really Because a tuna boat in dry dock doesn't need a crew, so obviously they had to get off the boat they had and get onto that one. thinking he's going to build some kind of a maritime empire of a sort. I think that's the goal. Uh, You know, we're going to get all these other boats. It's a great reveal to have her run out onto the deck. And it's in dry dock. dry dock. Yeah, it's like the the docks down in New Orleans area and over into Mississippi where they would build those ships before World War II. uh, I think all the way to Mobile, but they would build some of those ships and... It's it was like interesting there, you know? to hear him say that was a real ship that they used, not a set. And so the kitchen was grimy, you know, and um, it was very real, uh, the stuff that we were seeing, or a lot of it. Um, yeah, so she puts it together that the family would have been dropped into the sea rather mm-hmm. than... Um, and so she wants to go in case they're still alive. That was very powerful when she said that, and I don't remember the exact line, but she said, I want to find my family. Mm-hmm. Because in a crude way, the whole group of them is coming together as a family. It's a community, right? And that's really what a community is, is a bunch of interlocked families. Right. right? I thought she might bring Jack along. I wonder if Jack could jump if they would have taken him. Um don't know. Because um, they could use a guy like Jack. He seems like a decent kid. And again, the zombie apocalypse has just started. Oh, Jack is the... Jake. Jake is the kid that died. Who am I thinking of? Too many J's. <laughs> no, it is Jack. Yeah, so this, uh, you know, Alex is so upset because she had spent so much time and effort keeping that one kid alive through the crash, and she lost him in part, possibly because of what they did. I mean, he might have died anyway, Mm -hmm. but who knows, you know, if we had given him some antibiotics. This reminds me, in a way, of the, the, do you remember the Stephen Crane novella, The Open Boat? Yeah. And it's one of the early American statements of, of modernism. You know, right. And really, it's this idea of human beings set loose in this very hopeless, uncaring, and, and maybe even hostile right. it's universe. Not, yeah, and the universe doesn't care about it's, it's very unfeeling. It's unfeeling, right. it's uncaring. Well, it's actually, or it may be hostile even. Possibly, yeah, but uh, at, the, at the most it's you know neutral because it doesn't care. Right, and, and, and this is rather like that, except here everybody is, is just as, you know, everybody's going to die. And unless if they get the headshot, so to speak, or or if they get decapitated, I suppose, they're going to come back as one of the walking dead. So, um, anyway, this Jack likes Alicia, I think. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I think he could have been recruited to go along. I don't know that the crew would want him, because they don't trust him. He's already proven himself untrustworthy, but on the other hand, if he esca- helps her to escape and get back to her folks... Does that buy him some trust? And, you know, that's that's a thing. You have to admit new people because you're losing too many. Mm-hmm. Eventually it's going to be one, and then mm-hmm. you'll have to be trying to get admitted to another group. Right, right. 
but can you trust them once you've been, once they're in? And he's already proven himself untrustworthy. You know, take the old hippie statement, trust no one over. What was it? How did it go? Trust no one over. 30. Over 30. Now it's just trust no one. They just truncated the... The, the, the hippies are in their 60s. So but I'm just saying, yeah. like that, but, the, <laughs> but the current society has just truncated the statement to trust no one. Well, that was um, Mulder in uh, X-Files. So anyway, um, <clears throat> Jack doesn't seem to be tied into this ship the way that Connor and, um, you know, their blood. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that Jack would feel the... He doesn't seem to like... Who is the kid that... Reed. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't seem to feel any loyalty to him. Right, right. Or really to that crew. I think he would go with Alicia if, if Alicia would take him. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else we needed to talk about? Let me look further down my list and I can tell you because there was another statement made that really kind of stuck with me and I might have already said this but let me look down the list oh yes I love this statement what do you have to offer who said that to whom I don't remember if that was a was strange that somebody statement that they or... asked Travis it could have been but it, it again, it goes with the idea of everything's in a, a, a negotiation, right? Well, and no dead weight in the, you know, apocalypse. You can't have right. people that can't do anything. Right. So Alicia needs to develop some skills. <laughs> I was struck on the after show, what is it called, Talking Dead or whatever, where they said that uh, the woman that plays Madison's character... Oh, Connor asked that to Alex. Uh, when they found her floating in that thing. What do you have to uh, offer? Alicia was uh, the the actor, the actual, the real woman, not the the character she's playing. But she says that they... that Madison is actually told ahead of time a little bit about where her character's (laughs) going. Oh, yeah. She's got a little more backstory than anybody else knows. The rest of them don't. And that might be a smart move on the part of the uh, screenwriters and the directors. It gives them latitude later on. Mm-hmm. But it can also you mean... You can develop the characters I'm, I'm assuming you want from to. this that when they give the, the actors their scripts, all they get is that week's edition for the filming. That's it. In other words, they don't get the, the, the week you know, subsequent and the weeks subsequent to, to that. They right. Get, in other words, they get, if, we're, if we're looking at it like a, like a linear progression, A, B, C, D through Z... They're getting arbitrarily, you know, week D, but they don't get week E. Right. And all they they know is everything up through week D, A, B, and C. Well, and given that there's, you know, even with the comic books as a model for the Mm -hmm. first season, they depart from it, but there's no series for them to stick to or depart from. So they can go take it in any direction they want to. Yeah, they have to work it out. Like, you know, they work out, I guess at some point they said, well, is this ship going to be floating around. Why not dry dock? Um, so, I think Where's the dry dock supposed to be again? It's down south of San Diego or no? I would think maybe San Diego because they had yeah, to go back be... up north okay. to get it. But okay. San Diego's right near the border. Right. Isn't it? It's right above Baja, California. So, And so, are we going to see the te- Mexican government next week or are we going to see gangsters who... Um, you know, have managed to stay together. This makes me wonder when the contagion or whatever, the agent, 
was released, was it released simultaneously across the world? Or did it break was out Was there an attack on the United States first? Or was it, or, or did it break out in waves uh, and, and, then, and then spread, you know, like a ripple, rippling sort of a thing? Well, the sub thing of the flight for whatever. Um, <laughs> that, that, the internet series, right? Yeah. That's the way disease spreads nowadays is uh, through planes. Well, look at 12 Monkeys, the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, before yeah. it morphed into a TV series, and the thing is becomes a geometric or logarithmic progression where it starts spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and becomes a pandemic. And so-called patient zero for the AIDS epidemic. Have you um, seen mm-hmm. news about him? Mm-hmm. He was a flight attendant who happened to be gay and mm-hmm. flying all over the world and had a lot of unprotected sex. So Aww. he was kind of like... That's why there were so many gay men mm-hmm. with AIDS... In our country, whereas in some other countries, it really spread among the hero population. Mm-hmm. It was spreading through him. He had it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he what? Do we now know? Can they trace it? Actually, yeah, they've traced it? it back to this one guy. I can't remember his name, mm-hmm. but um, you know, in early on, nobody had any idea what this thing was. So. Right, it was a mystery. Almost. Right. Um, so they're going back and piecing together where. Why did it spread the way that it did? Mm-hmm. Well, you put a zombie apocalypse on a plane, and all of a sudden, you know, assuming the plane doesn't crash, you know, when they leave, they're going to spread it. This is a real, um, and it points up the the reality of this threat, and of similar threats in the midst of all the unreality, and one of the threats is the fact of these super bugs and super plagues. Yeah, and this one spreads without any real direct contact, like a... You know, everybody in the series already has the virus. It's already spread. By the time mm-hmm. they find out it's a thing, mm-hmm. it's too late. You know, if they die without with their brain intact, they are going to come back as a zombie. Mm-hmm. So, how quickly did that happen? You know, mm-hmm. but at some point it's happened with everybody. But, I don't know, south of the border? seems like Mexico might... Again, a little sooner, if, but yeah. it might go later, especially if it's bioterrorism. Well, and the you would think the the virus would have some sorts of vulnerabilities, whereas there could be or or people, if not vulnerabilities, at least that people that could be isolated enough they could get away from it. If they were deep underground, if they were at one of the poles, you know, the polar ice caps. Or right. Whatever. I mean, I don't know. Or possibly a society organized a little differently, like. A, you know, that's why I'm thinking a gang might survive. Mm-hmm. We've talked before how in... Because they're already sort of wired for that. Yeah, they are wired not to need the system mm-hmm. necessarily. Because they're already off the grid, right. so to speak. Like uh, during Katrina, the New Orleans gangs were the only ones distributing food and water. The state government, the local government, the federal government, Red Cross, none of them were actually getting food and water into the people that needed it. But the gangs were, you know, so when civilization collapses, maybe they're ready to... So maybe the narco-terrorists um, and, you know, super super high-up people that, you know, already have a structure are better able to handle the zombie apocalypse, and so they have a little more going it's on. It's an and, easier transition for them, I think. Right. Because, uh, you know, our... We've talked about this. The complexity of our civilization right. makes it vulnerable. That's what one of my professors said. I mean, that old anthropologist said that in grad school. He said that the more sophisticated, the more complex that a culture, that a civilization gets to be, the more fragile it becomes. It's almost like a direct relationship. 
So there's a kind of robustness to the tribe mm-hmm. that our other experiments don't have. It can respond to change more nimbly. Yeah, and you know the mob, the gang is modeled on the old tribal order mm-hmm. that we. That's part of our human nature, you know. Right. Out of the last two hundred thousand years, for one hundred ninety thousand of those, if you saw people, they were in a tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have any of these other newfangled things that we have. I'm still interested to see if on this series or the, again, the parrot series as I call it, if they will see any more elements of government that have survived and also a, a real common, a, a convention, a trope of apocalyptic fiction is the idea of some sort of governmental entity that has survived somehow. Right, like in a hardened bunker, or in, or 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 off Earth, even like that series that you follow, the one hundred or whatever. Yeah, it's called, where yeah, there could be astronauts up there that don't have the disease at all. Yeah, I hadn't I mean, thought no, of that. That would be, um, but they're kind of stranded. But it, but it also could be like the Planet of the Apes movie series, where it doesn't survive, and what happens is you find the ruins of the previous civilization. Right, like Taylor and the other astronauts. Yeah, the, the Charlton Heston character found those ruins. Well, the apes had already found them, but he he could he could interpret the code basically because he knew what the he knew what those ruins meant, and he knew it was his own civilization destroyed by some sort of thermonuclear war. Right, right. He had not gone to another univ- you know another planet. He, he went through a time warp. Time warp and wound up back on Earth. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how much of the of the usual conventions of, again, of post-apocalyptic fiction, this is going to follow. Because uh, it's following. I mean, it, it really has... North of Fry, the, the Canadian literary theorist and critic, was, you know, as much as I don't agree with him about certain things, I do agree with him that literary works do follow certain forms based on their genres, and you can kind of understand them and if, if you fit them into what genre that they follow. Yeah, there's a logic to the genre. Absolutely. Like in horror... At some point, people are going to jump up and run off and do stupid stuff. Even our heroes on the Walking Dead series, you know, they spent the last episode. My mom had a saying, when in trouble, when in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. (laughs) That's kind of what they did. You know, they were all scattered all over from here to yonder, and they knew they had enemies at the gates. And Mm -hmm. they put themselves in a position to be vulnerable. And they got cap- got themselves captured. Well, I think. What are you hearing about the uh, the future of this series? In other words, has it been picked up for a series three or season three? I don't know. <clears throat> I think you know they they sounded like they had really committed to the long haul, and they wanted to build their audience. Let's see how their ratings are doing. It's already doing uh, fifteen. Um, and what does that mean? Fifteen episodes for this, you know, for this season. Oh, yeah, it's it's already been you know signed for that. And that's a good thing. Now, what the ratings are looking like, I don't know. When oh, it's not this? doing very well. Well, that was nine months ago, but oh. Walking Dead didn't take off immediately. Does it have kind of a cult following or no? Yeah, um, yeah and then you know, Walking Dead is one of the most popular series on TV right now. They moved the time and were able to 
increase the uh, crud. Increase their viewership by 43%. So, they're getting 3 million. That's a pretty good... That's pretty respectable. When was this? September 4th. Oh, that's last year, too. Haven't seen much for this year. But they sounded like they wanted it to be a long-term series. You know, The Walking Dead is a cash cow, so... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cash in while we can. I, I like the series. Was this week... Was there a major metaphor? Um... That, you know, something in our society this represents. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of a title, maybe. The idea of captive. Yeah. You know, what? in what ways are we captives? Right, because in one way or another, they all are captive to their circumstances. Right. right. And, I don't ca- know. and captive to our own, our own human nature, I think. Right. Uh, because the girl wants, you know, Alicia wants to go back. Why? I've got to release, I've got to free my family. And the only real monster this episode was um, Reed. Don't they leave that crowbar inning the whole time? Because it you know, sometimes if you mm-hmm. pull something like that out and can't sew them up, they'll bleed right. out. Right. Well, that was really interesting when Salazar uh, stopped anything. You remember when they were there in that room and the character had already turned? He said, oh, no, wait, wait. Right, right, we need the zombie, right. Exactly. We, we that need was, him. So. That, that, to me, harks back up once again, the mystery around Salazar's character. That guy's pretty resourceful. Yeah, he's, he thinks... He's a very well. Yeah, that's the. Sign he's not of, impulsive. Well, and he's just. You look at somebody like a. You know, it's not the best comparison yet. It's it's pretty apropos of the situation. MacGyver was like a modern Odysseus. He lived by his wits. Right. He was a man who's never at a loss. Right. And I I could see Salazar being sort of like that. You know, this really resourceful character that's making the most of any situation. Except by the end of the episode, he was at a loss. Yeah. He was yeah. Losing it, you know. Um, but then people can come back. You know, we've had a lot of our major heroes in the other series lose it at some point or another and basically go on a walkabout and eventually collect themselves and come back, oftentimes to be better than they were before. So, um, yeah, he didn't make it out of this episode. Although, I don't know, did the zombie, um, did zombie Reed die? I think he was still munching on people when we got off the dock, so I assume they eventually got it together and killed him. (laughs) But it just shows, like, um, as time goes by, the leaders of these groups become more and more ruthless and more and more effective. And exactly. This guy is strong a, man. Yeah, strong man sort of. Their guy is out of his depth. He's a cook, mm-hmm. you know. And I could see if things went differently, 
You know, uh, you look to it. Reed killing our, Connor and taking over. Our current political situation, not just here in the United States, in other words, domestically, but internationally, these strongmen types are coming to power. I'm, I'm really amazed. Fascism is always popular. It, when times of social certain, flux. Yeah. In times of, when there's social flux going on, and, and I'm surprised and appalled and frankly rather angry at what the European nations are talking about, you know, how disappointed they are because Trump is coming up and, and getting so popular, but they haven't taken a look at what's happening in Austria. They haven't well, taken a look been, at what's happening in Greece. They've been Greece. practicing this uh, socially devastating austerity for years. and It's an experiment that's going to have consequences. Oh, and one of the consequences is Il Duce, you mm-hmm. know, in whatever form, you know, the leader that's going right. to come and fix that right. The Fuhrer comes up in the wake of Weimar Germany, which is disintegrating and has this massive inflation. I'm going to build train railroads and make the trains run on yeah, time. People, people are running around trying to, uh, you know, get something paid for, and they're buying consumer goods with barrels, not barrels, but wheelbarrows full of marks. Because the, the, their right. unit of currency is essentially devalued almost to nothing. Well, I mean, you know, at this point, American currency is gone. You have to pay right. with other stuff. Right. But you I'm know, just thinking about how prescient, how prescient something like this could be. You know, if there's a if there's a worldwide collapse, which would happen in the wake of a pandemic. Well, do you have anything else to add before we sign off for this week? I'm ready for next week. Yeah, too. I think. Um, it's a good setup, I think. Don't you? Yeah, I think we may have two more episodes and then a hiatus. They're I'm not um, sure about it. They are really good at, at developing kind of what amounts to, and I say, the rebirth of cliffhanger drama. Right. You know, um, imagine the old silent serials and also the talkie serials that lasted up through the 40s, the late 40s, early 50s. Even. You know, Leonard Nimoy's, one of his first acting gigs was in a serial. Huh. It was in a talkie serial back in the, in the early 50s. 50s. Yeah. yeah, he played a Martian or something, which is kind of funny. Uh-huh. But I mean, really, he, that was one of his first acting gigs. He had a minor role in a serial. And, uh, and so this is really kind of the rebirth of that, albeit it's got some more character depth, but it's still, that's the template. That novelistic fiction is got divisions by chapters. Yeah, but there is an art. You know, it's right. not just a reboot every week. Right. You have to watch it in order mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on. They're taking place in real time. What amounts to you know, as far as you can have real time in fiction, right? But it's, they're chronological. Yeah. Well, for Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast, I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. We want to thank all of you for listening in on our musings and ramblings this <laughs> week. And we hope that you'll join the cast and crew of Fear the Walking Dead. But we hope also that you'll come back and join us for next week's edition. Bye for now.